Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Okay, I am here today with a very special guest. I would like you to welcome Edward Miski. Hello. Edward, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for coming early. Would you mind sharing with the audience what you just said that your grandfather taught you? It's so great. If you're 10 minutes early, you're already late. (laughs) (laughs) You hear that, people? He was early. He was early. It's one of those things. It's like I live by it and people hate me for it or they love me for it. And there's no middle ground. It's very polarizing. (laughs) Well, those people that hate you are just those people that are constantly tardy. So, yeah. Yeah. Boo on them. What are you going to (laughs) do? All right. Let's talk about you. So let's talk about the very beginning of your cancer journey. Can you take us back to when it started and and what symptoms you may have had? Sure. That was kind of the weird thing. I didn't have symptoms. All I had was a lump under my arm. Like I felt great. I looked great. I was in the best shape of my life. I was 24 going on 25. And um, this just little bump appeared under my arm one day. I found it in the shower. It was very like lifetime Valerie Bertinelli textbook. Like this is how I found out I had cancer. Um, You know, and it just kind of went from there and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger over the course of five months. Um, I was what like, size was it when you found it? Like uh, almondy, almond. Oh, small. Really yeah, small. it was. It was very small until it okay. wasn't. Um, I was out of town doing a show. I was doing hairspray in Reno, Nevada, and um, over the five months that I was there doing the show, it grew to be about the size of a grapefruit. Uh, oh, it was enormous. Oh, yeah. yeah, like it took on I a could- life of its own. Did you get chafing? I'm just thinking about when I used to do marathons and that was challenging. <laughs> but I mean, I'm trying to picture this grapefruit size lump. I didn't. I, I didn't get chafing, but it was uncomfortable. And I felt like my shoulder was constantly displaced because it was like in my mm. armpit, like right where your arm like meet, like bends. Yeah. Um, and so like going to the gym or running or doing anything physical, I always had to compensate. So even to this day, I still feel like my left side is a little off because of that. I'm but sure. other than that, there were no symptoms. I went to my doctor. He's like, "Are are you sure you're okay? Because this is horrendous." <laughs> but like you, like but like you look great. So, <laughs> and you said you were in your mid twenties. Is that right? Yeah, I was 24 when the almond showed up, and then I had a birthday, and then that was about grapefruit territory there. So when you finally went to go see your doctor, did you go because you figured maybe I should, or friends and family kind of? pressure to you or what made you finally go okay maybe this is a problem i actually went pretty early um the the almond thing got significantly bigger over the course of like a month and i was still in new york doing rehearsals for the show and everything so i went to him and i was like what is this and he sent me for a ct scan and it was decided that it was cat scratch fever or a similar infection which is like barely a real disease in the first place um and so he just gave me antibiotics and sent me on my way um, so by the time it got to the size it was, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to have to have this cut out of me. Like, what is this? I don't know. Like, we were joking around about it, like, with my my coworkers that I was doing the show with and friends. We named it. Um, it was named... Oh, C- what did you name it? 
it was named Seymour because of Little Shop of Horrors. Like I went into I, a, I went into a bar one night and a friend of mine was there and and I had just left an emergency room, which was a haphazard experience. And it was so big, they gave me an ultrasound like I was pregnant. And we were laughing about that. And Little Shop was playing on the TV in the bar. And my friend goes, you know, you're going to have to name it. And we just kind of both looked at the TV and we were like, Seymour. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did, I did go back to my doctor when I came back to the city because it was just so big that it was like, if this continues growing at this rate, like I will, it, it's going to eat me. Whether I didn't know if it was cancer or not, but it was like taking over the left side of my body. Right. What did your doctor say when he saw you? He, I mean, he literally said basically what I, what I just said. He was like, you look great. Are you sure you're okay? Like, do you have any other symptoms? I didn't have a fever. I wasn't tired. Like I was fine. Right. I was perfectly fine, except for this enormous thing growing out of my arm. And then what did he decide to do? He sent me off for a biopsy. And okay. uh, that happened, I think that day or the following day. And they just like put this huge needle in my arm a couple times. And that was that. And they came back with this diagnosis that was like, this doesn't happen to humans. Like, what is going on? <laughs> what do you mean? What did they say to you? So, well, let me back up. During the biopsy, had the word cancer been uttered yet? Um, they had, so uh, months before my doctor had mentioned that it could be Hodgkin's. And then it was cat scratch fever, which is trash. But then when I came back, he was like, this could actually be Hodgkin's. And I was okay. like, uh... I'm sorry. No. <laughs> so <laughs> no, I love it. just yeah. no. Uh, so I went to the, I went to the hospital. I had the biopsy and when the, it came back, they said it was non-Hodgkin's, which is the better version of that diagnosis. Um, but the not so better part of that diagnosis is that it was like a one in a gajillion chance that I was going to have this. Cause like the, it was rare and large B cell Burkitt's like non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which appears typically in preteens to children in africa and like it's wow. not there's only like 1200 cases of it i think reported worldwide at the time of my diagnosis so they had no idea what to do it was like this rare rare like why why do you have this you hit none of the benchmarks of why you would have this and um you know it just kind of it, the whole thing was just like being a lab rat from day one so what did they decide to do well first of all my gosh did they cut it out no, they were afraid to. They were afraid that if they cut it out, that wow. the cancer cells would like spread throughout the whole thing. Got it. The thing okay, so being they're... my body. Because it was right. so, so it was so aggressive. Um, yeah, because yeah, it was so aggressive. They were afraid if, it, if anything got loose from being contained where it was, that we would have a much larger right. problem. So surgery was out. But I ended up doing four rounds of chemo. It was supposed to be eight, but none of them were working. So they're like, we're going to pull the plug on this and not pursue any more chemo, which I was like thank the lord because over what period of time was that three months december okay. january february i had four rounds in that period of time and then they were like we're gonna try radiation and so we did that and that worked i mean that was like that's what shrank it because between each chemo it would like shrink down and then grow back and, it, and like, that you was could my see next it. question it was okay. weird you could see it it was blech. <laughs> Um, do you remember that show Weird Science? <laughs> of course. Well, it I remember was, the movie. I'm right, dating right. myself. I, I didn't even it know it was that. a show. Yeah, <laughs> it was a show. <laughs> okay, so it would shrink, it would come back. You know, you weren't making any headway clearly. And yeah. and so then they decided to do 
radiation. Yeah, I and did what 30, did that look like? 30 days of radiation, f- six days a week uh, for just like 10 minutes. Uh, it was super easy. I liked it because it was short. It was outpatient. All of my chemo was inpatient. I had to live at the hospital for like a week or two at a time. Um, because some of the drips were so long, they were like eight to 12 hour drips. And so they were like, just live here. (laughs) Um, so radiation was better. Um, it was down in like the, the depths of the hospital. Um, but you know, it was in and out really quick and I felt better. My hair started to grow back. I started to eat better. I felt like a human. There's this whole thing in um, <laughs> one of the chapters in my book talks about that period of time and how I got very, very backed up and was eating, but nothing was like making its way through. And it Is was- this during radiation? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's- Okay. Were that's you a- on any pain meds? No. That's like, that's oh, that's a weird that thing. Like causes I causes constipation. Right. I, mean. I talked to a lot of um, like cancer survivors and, and other, you know, care patient adjacent people- and they're all like, how were you not on any pain meds? Like, I never once, one time I was on Dilaudid because I had a, um intrathecal um, uh, chemo that, you know, they shoot up into your spinal cord and all that. And I had this awful headache for days and days and days at a time. So they gave me Dilaudid, which is basically heroin. And um, that didn't even really help. So I did no, yeah. I did no <laughs> pain meds. Well, no, I ask about the pain meds because of the constipation. You know, because that's common, right? It's really right. common if you're on heavy duty um, opioids that you're going to be constipated. That's kind of a known thing. Um, but you weren't. And I mean, what was it something with the radiation? I mean, what what was it that was causing the constipation? I guess maybe it was the radiation. Um, I mean, it kind of makes sense. I, if you think about it, I suppose, like you're killing off things in your body and drying it up essentially so like Mm -hmm. you know you're a walking corpse for a while and your skin's turning black and it's sore and it hurts and it's really ugly to look at so you know you cover it and all all the things but it it really was just this weird like week period where i was not able to use the bathroom at all and i was just constipated and one day at the gym (laughs) my body was like just kidding it's time. Let's oh, go. No, <laughs> at the gym. Yeah, it's a whole. It was a whole thing. <laughs> well, you gotta tell us about it. We get to the the dirty sure, sure, sure. details I'll, here. I'll give you the abridged version. So basically, what okay. happened was I I started to feel better, like I said, and so I went back to my old gym that I hadn't been to in, in months and months and months. And, um, you know, it was weird. I like people looked at me like they recognized me, but they didn't because I didn't look the way that I used to. And it was just this very strange experience. But, um, you know, I did the elliptical and, and I was really depleted from that. And so I was like, I need to stop. I'm going to go do like a chest press, like light reps on that. And uh, I got over there and I started to do the chest press. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, uh, nope. Nope. Got to go. And uh, I put everything back as best I could and like tried as casually as possible to like run for my life for the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, thankfully there was no one else in there because I, I ruined the place. I, I shut that place down and uh, you know, I was like, well, everything that had been in your body for probably more than a week and probably a few weeks. Yeah. Like probably a week and a half or so at that point. Yeah. Um, But it just, you know, anything that I have ever eaten my whole life just came running out and uh, it was, it was vile. It was really bad. I remember holding on to the the walls of the stall 
and just like leaning over and like not praying but just like oh god like uh <laughs> you know those were okay. those were some of the highlight the highlight reel of uh <laughs> being a cancer patient but no i think it's important to talk about this right because when this yeah. happens to people and they they think not that people think they're special, you know what I mean? But people think, oh, well, this is just happening to me. And so I think it really helps to hear this can happen, yeah. and, you know, and, it, and it's important. And also, it's not good to be constipated. No, at, it's very at uncomfortable. It's, really, it's very, yeah, it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> it's not good for your body. It happens. I'm glad you didn't end up in the hospital. I know people who end up in the hospital all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, constipation. I certainly ended up there for a, a number of other reasons, but thankfully, that was not one of them. Okay, you said number of other reasons. Give us one. Well, you know, I mean, as any any good human has, um, I have a, a very very strong, uh, fine tuned expertise in self sabotage. So during this period of time, despite the fact that I knew it was absolutely detrimental to be alive at that point in public because I had no immune system for any reason, I still found ways to you know rage against that machine. And um, really kind of make sure that I was not going to survive cancer. <laughs> I, what were you doing? I mean, I drank my way through chemo um, in a big way. You know, I'm a go big or go home kind of kind of gal. So, like, that was, uh, that was a thing. Um, I, during radiation, felt super unpretty. And the radiation uh, technician kind of also made me feel so. Not on purpose. It was nothing they did specifically. Oh, what but happened? They were just asking me about like my previous life. And I showed them an old headshot from when I was being an actor person. And they were just like, that's you? And I was like... Oh, <laughs> no! That's horrible. I was like, I know I look like a tortoise right now, but I used to be hot, so... <laughs> um, and so that, wow. that kind of sparked this spiral of me just going out and hooking up with anyone who would look at me because it just like like I wanted to be touched and felt and feel wanted and and like I used to when I looked like a person um yeah. and you know it that is certainly dangerous when you don't have an immune system at all um so you know bullets dodged on that but it was still like one of those things it was like I'm gonna make sure that I don't live through this <laughs> Um, I went on vacation to Florida. I swam in the ocean with no immune system whatsoever. Like, oh, like that, <laughs> oh, I got geez. a I got a parasite from that that I was inpatient for like five or six days with. It was. It what was did your mad. doctors say to you? They had to like. What did they say? <laughs> Were they frustrated? Um, I had two hospitals. The first one was a hot mess, and I ended up leaving after radiation. Uh, the second one, I remember my oncologist. My oncologist came in to my inpatient room when I had this parasite situation, yeah. and screamed at me. And she was like, "You are going to need so much therapy when this is over. What are you doing?" And at first, good I was for like, her. "I know, good for her." In hindsight, yeah. in the moment, I was like, "Fuck you! Like <laughs> you don't know what this is like. I'm trying to have a good time here." <laughs> Like, if this is my last hurrah, none of you know what you're doing as far as my case is concerned. So, like, let me have it, you know? Um, <laughs> I was... so want to make a joke, but it's so radically inappropriate. No, go I'm for like, it. I love inappropriate. No, go for it. No, no. I don't want to, like, completely offend you in the middle of our interview. <laughs> you won't. I'm so not easily offended at all. 
You promise? I swear to God. I promise. Okay. I'll let my editor decide if he wants to cut this out because it makes me look so bad. So my my thought was listening to you. I was like, okay, so you were an alcoholic and a whore. All right. Good choices. I mean, good choices. Absolutely. I mean, please leave that. I'm just teasing. No, but please, (laughs) seriously though, please leave that in because that is how I chose to cope. And I think that with with the conversation of like, you know, constipation is the thing that cancer patients deal with. This is also very much in line with that. Like you yeah, are not, you, you don't get treated like a person anymore. You're a, a patient and you are a file and you are a study. And that's yeah. all fine and good because in the end, they ended up saving my life. But in the middle of that, like I'm 24, five years old, 24, 25 years old. Like, you know, I was like, hot and involved and had a career going and like there were things that were going for me that were now completely gone and so yes Mm -hmm. my coping mechanisms were to be an alcoholic whore and that was because that's what felt good to me at that moment because it felt like a piece of normalcy that i could hold on to and you know in hindsight like no that wasn't good they were not good choices but they were the choices that i made and i think and it's one of the reasons why i wrote this book in the first place is because there's so many things that happen to cancer patients and and those who are adjacent to them that are not really talked about you have this very kind yeah. of monolithic v- in image or vision of this person's experience and what they look like and what outwardly happens to them but there's not a whole lot of like what happens to them in the brain space and so like that is i try to be as transparent about all of this as possible because it wasn't fun you know like i made it as fun as i could i had a great support system of friends we laughed we had parties in my hospital room like it was we made it as fun as possible we were like the fun room on the stem cell transplant floor to be on i bet you were um but like you know i like hooked up with a guy in my hospital room like should not have done that like it was just oh no you did not i did oh my god <laughs> did your doctor ever find out about that absolutely not no okay he, he or she i think you said she knows now she, yeah she well she might um and she was uh, a champion i was i was terrified of her she was like four foot eleven and she'd wear like these five inch heels with like a mini skirt and like an arm bracelet and she'd have her hair done and makeup done she was absolutely fabulous but I was terrified of her because every time I saw her, it was bad news or she was yelling at me for being an idiot, you know, so mm-hmm. gr- like warranted, fully warranted for being an alcoholic or, but like, <laughs> that's going to be the name of this. That's going to be the title of this podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> Alcoholic whore. <laughs> Survives cancer. Survives cancer. Part yep, of yep. Still going. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so I have, no, go ahead. I have sorry. to ask. You mentioned friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about family? Did you have any family that was there to yes. support you? Yeah. Um, the friends thing is kind of more contentious. Like I had a, I had this, the, these two besties that were like the trifecta. And um, I, when I found out I had cancer, I wasn't telling people. I was telling my close family and I was telling my close friends. And that is it. I basically disappeared off of social media for a whole year and didn't tell anyone until I got the news that it was gone. But yeah. one, of these, one of the two people in the trifecta, when I told him that I had cancer, that was the last time I spoke to him. He did not. He just completely vanished. And that was another thing I was not prepared for. You know, that you think that everyone's going to rally around you and be like, oh my God, like, we're here for you. But they're not because some people just aren't emotionally intelligent enough or equipped to be able to handle that. 
And that is also okay. Not everyone has to rise to the occasion. I had a, a boyfriend at the time who did the same thing. He basically deuced out, um, which is also fine. Didn't feel that way in the in the moment. <laughs> Not one of no, my finest shitty. moments. Yeah, it was, you know, I misbehaved with that news, of course. But like, you know, it, it's 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 stuff that happens to you. It, it's reality. Like friends disappear, boyfriends disappear. Um, thankfully, my family was incredible. And my mom and dad took turns coming up to the city to like stay with me and make sure I was okay. And my mom Aww. works in medical and she's just a, a fucking rock star with like paperwork. And she was handling all the bills and the paperwork and keeping track of things and taking notes. And she would catch mistakes because she used to mix chemotherapy. So she understands that. Like I was so lucky wow. to have her um, because yeah. there were a couple times that they almost messed up and gave me the wrong stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and she caught it. it happens more often than people think it it's really does. it's yeah and and i one of the big conversations i have all the time is patient advocacy like know what is on your chart stand up for yourself say no what the reason i left the first hospital was because it was a hot mess and they were trying to push me towards this protocol of stuff i didn't want to do so you know i had to put my foot down and say no so i'm helping a patient right now okay and he is seeing one of the top doctors for his particular cancer in the country, if not the world. Mm -hmm. But my mantra is if you have something serious like cancer, I don't care who you're seeing, you gotta get a second opinion. It's just, it's important. And he has a very complex, difficult to treat cancer. So it's even more important in many ways, much like yours, right? They didn't know what they were dealing with. And he is so afraid of hurting the doctor's feelings. Now, mind you, this is a doctor I have a very good relationship with and I'm like, fuck his feelings. This is your life. You can't, he's a good doctor. He's great. Any second opinion you get is going to be with one of his colleagues. And if he gets hurt, who cares? You know, yeah. who cares? Second opinion, so, getting a second opinion is what saved my life. Um, okay. Say that one more time. I'm going to quote you. <laughs> getting a second opinion is what saved my life. The first hospital Tell us about that. The first hospital I was at was the one I was diagnosed at. And they okay. had no idea what to do. It was an education hospital. It's a huge medical conglomerate. Um okay. and the woman who was my oncologist, very outwardly and transparently, which I asked for and I appreciated, told me that they didn't really know what they were doing in so many words. Okay. And they were trying all the things and it wasn't going as well as they thought it was going that they wanted it to. And so therefore, you know. They're trying their best. And they, right. they were pushing me towards this protocol of having a stem cell transplant where someone else was my donor, <gasps> so like an allogenic transplant, um, which I did not want. And then three rounds of full body radiation after that, which I also did not want. And they kept pushing it and pushing it. And they were testing my family to be matches for a donor. And then they were looking in the national database and they couldn't find one. <sighs> and it they just kept pushing it. And I was like, I... I'm 25. I was in the best shape of my life coming into this. Why can't I be my own donor? And I kept asking that. And they were like, well, you know, we're not able to collect enough stem cells from you. At this point, I had I had tried. We had done the whole, like, hormonal therapy to make that happen. And um, we weren't collecting enough. And so they kept pushing it. But radiation was working. And the tumor had shrunk and had stopped growing. And it was still shrinking even after I had stopped. And so I stopped her at some point because chemo brain went away, which is totally a thing. It clouds your judgment. You have no idea who you are or what yeah. you're saying. And I just stopped. And I was like, I don't 
want to do this. Like, hear me. I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to do this. Um, and so finally, after she had deterred me from going to Sloan Kettering, because she was like, oh, they're just going to treat you like a number there. It's not going to be the same level of care, which was the absolute opposite in my experience. Um, I ended up going there to a doctor who she trained under, who ended up being my oncologist, looked at my chart, looked at my slides and was like, oh, that's not the cancer you have. Who was your doctor? And I was like, and I told her, and she goes, she should know better. How dare she? She trained under me. I'm calling her. And so she called her and, and ripped her over the phone wow. for that. And it was because I stood up for myself to get a second opinion that I ended up with that doctor, who was also like yeah. top dog in lymphoma world. And she saved my whole life. And it's because I, oh, I said no. And you have to say no. You have to, have to, have to say no. If you don't want it, you don't have to take it. My grandfather died of colon cancer. He was 84 when he was diagnosed. He did one round of radiation, one round of chemo, and he was like, this sucks. I don't want to do this. Never mind. And he pushed it off and said no. And he ended up living for like another three years. Like the death yeah. situation wasn't good, but he had a good quality of life for the last couple of years of his life. And yeah. I was, I had seen that happen. I watched him deteriorate and I was willing to have that happen over living a life of quality that was not sustainable. I saw what happened to my arm during radiation. I didn't want that to happen to my whole six foot four frame and just look like a tortoise for the rest of my life and have to deal with like wigs and makeup tattooing and stuff that they were throwing at me as alternative options. Should this be the thing that was happening? And I was like, I don't want any of this. Wow. So say no. Second opinion, second opinion saved my life. It really did. Wow. What is one thing that you wish you had known at the very beginning? One thing I wish I knew at the very beginning. I think I, I wish I would have gotten a second opinion earlier, honestly. Okay. It probably would have saved me six months of my life. Yeah. Um, that was something I had to learn the hard way. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking about the time period too. Cause like I, my, my thought is like to reach out and find people who are having similar stories and similar experiences that isn't a support group, but someone you can talk to. And like social media wasn't what it was, what it is now back then. And doing, right. doing that was, would have been so impossible. And like, I just think about like, like TikTok being the search engine and communication device that it is now, like there's a whole slew of people on there who are talking about their cancer diagnosis or their experiences or their survivorship. And that just didn't really exist in the same way 11 years ago, you know? So right. I would say if it was, if someone was going to be presented with this as their reality now, um, experiencing cancer, I would say find people to talk to. Cause I didn't really have people who really knew to talk to. Right. What about if you could only do one thing to change healthcare in the U S what would it be and why? <laughs> I know. And you get only one. So. Yeah. I mean, this is obviously a much larger conversation, but make it free. The total amount of my entire hospital experience from day one, I think, and this is a rough estimate based on like the big stays that I had would have been close to $3 million had yeah. we not had the perfect storm happen right at that time 
like I am alive and not in $3 million of debt because of Obamacare. I was 25. That was the year they changed it to 26. So I got back, I got back on my mom's insurance, like right in time. And we ended up, I think total, we ended up paying like $1,500 for the whole thing. But like, it could have been 3 million and no, no one is crawling out from under that. And And you can't, and you you can't, can't. it's just like, I'm like, I'm not paying this. You can come take whatever you want from me, but I'm not paying it. It's just, it's just, it gets to that. And it shouldn't be like that. And I know there's so many arguments around it. Like, oh, well, we have the best healthcare in the world and blah, blah, blah. We're the forefront runner of all this. And like, okay, maybe that's true to some degree, but at the same time, like you shouldn't be profiting off of people staying alive. No one asked to be here. So why don't we give them us, me, you, everyone, healthcare <laughs> to stay alive and not line your pockets because you feel like you should make a 700% profit margin off of one chemotherapy drug. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, could talk, <laughs> I could talk about this all day. I mean, literally, like, I remember looking at a breakdown from my hospital stay, and keep in mind, this is 11 years ago. And so, you know, inflation, but, um, the Q-tips in my hospital room that I did not use and was advised not to use because of like membranes and blood counts and all that. They charged us like $32 for them just to be there. Yeah. And like, if I don't touch it, they're going to stay there for the next person. So they're making $32 off of that person too. And that was like per day. That wasn't even just like for, it was like per day. Why? (laughs) I will bring my own from home. Like, stop. It was so ridiculous. Like, why Why is that even a thing? That is that is the thing because it's so, such a blatant markup. And it is so blatantly for the wrong reason that, like, I don't, I don't even want to hear it. Like, there is no other argument. Why, why should I have to pay $3 million to stay alive? Is that how much I'm worth? Are we trading me on the stock market? Like, what, what is that? Sorry, I could go off on this forever. <laughs> <laughs> no passion. Zero passion. None. Um, I don't have an opinion I, at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are you ready for the Thriver Rapid Fire? I Yes. I love this. Let's go. Okay. Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Ooh. Uh, beach Boys. What is one word that best describes you? Large. (laughs) (laughs) That was not the word that came to mind to me for you. What was your word that came to mind? (laughs) Fun. Okay. All right. I will I will replace large with fun. (laughs) That's much better. (laughs) Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Oh, I don't know if it's been written yet. Ooh. That's a great answer. It It changes all the time. Right now it's flowers by Miley Cyrus, but that could change in like a week, you know, who knows? What about the last meal you want to eat? Oh, something with cheesecake. <laughs> and the last person or people you want to see? Uh, my parents and my sisters. And the last words you will speak? <laughs> That's what it. What is it, Edward? <laughs> Yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> I don't know. Supposedly, it, Steve Jobs said, wow. Like, supposedly was his last word. Well, and then that raises the question, too. Like, do I say something kind of cryptic and strange on purpose? So people are like, uh... 
or do, is it like thoughtful and pensive or do you even have the have the agency over your brain to pick what you're going to say is it just like like you're having a seizure and it just comes out like is it you know what what is that like what it, i don't know we'll never know we won't know until we get there that's right that's right uh, okay aside from cancer you what's one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers and please tell people about your book and how they can get in touch with you sure um so I want to get this right because it's new and I only just learned about it. Okay. I want to say it's called Li Life Strong, not to be confused Live with Strong? not to be confused with Live Strong. I don't think it's the same oh. thing. Um okay. it's a program through the YMCA that I believe started in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and I believe it is nationwide now. Um but basically what they do is they offer um after after treatment resources like physical therapy and and mental health and whatnot to those who have gone through a cancer experience um i learned about it because i was on an abc news segment and that's what they were doing before they talked to me and so i was like wow this is Would so you great send me the link for that i will because i'm i feel like okay. i'm getting the name wrong and i don't want to screw it up but it's such a great program and i said on my segment i wish that something like that existed when i was in right. in treatment or after treatment because i had to take those matters into my own hands i joined a very fancy gym i had a yoga instructor come to my apartment and paid them in cash to like bend me around and things and it just like <laughs> it was hard and expensive and if there was a program like that that i was aware of and maybe there ha there was and i just didn't know um to help me kind of rebuild my my perspective and my mindset on myself and my life and then also physically like i would have really loved having something like that um and so please fact check me on the name of that but something like that would be wonderful okay and how can people get in touch with you and find your book so um i am on all social media platforms at edward miskey um and that includes twitter tiktok instagram facebook uh if there are others i'm not thinking of them so therefore i don't use them <laughs> And uh, my book is actually on Barnes & Noble. I recently just found out that it's on walmart.com as well. Um, it's on Waterstones. It's on Booktopia. It's on Indigo. It's it's on like 30 or so or more different retailers. So if you just Google it, I'm sure you will find something. Barnes & Noble is my preference. If you would like to go buy it there, I like them. Um, it's also on Amazon. What's the name? Amazon Apple Books. Everybody. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, kind right. of important, just you know. Google my book. You'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so cute. Um, so the book is called <laughs> Cancer Musical Theater and Other Chronic Illnesses on Barnes & Noble, Apple, Amazon, etc. Okay. All right. Good. We'll make sure uh, if there's not a link um, in your guest bio, we'll make sure it's there. So. I, will, I will send you many. <laughs> All right. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Edward. You, yeah, you're just fun. You're just fun. Thank you. I mean, it's been great. It has been great. So I hope fun. we can do this again. This was so much fun. Oh, good. I'm glad you had a good time. Well, thank you for sharing your story. Anytime. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.com university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. 
real people, true stories.